morning, NFC East. Once again, I am Jeff Kerr. Happy Hulk Day. Happy Wednesday. We got one more day, guys. One more day to football. One more. I can't wait. I can't wait for Bill's Rams tomorrow. And we'll talk about that a little bit on Friday on our Football Friday show, but we're going to talk about the New York football giants today on Good Morning NFC East because they played the Tennessee Titans on Sunday. And I wouldn't blame you guys if you weren't excited for this game. I'm not excited for this game. And I, I like the Tennessee Titans. I like watching them. I like Derrick Henry. They got a bunch of intriguing storylines, which I'm going to preview today. But he got the Giants. And God bless Brian Dable. God bless him. It's going to be a rough year for him. If the Giants win six, seven games, I'll be super impressed. Because this is not a good roster. And I've said this a couple times on this show already. I'm just not optimistic about the New York Giants in 2022. 2023, 2024, sure. 2022, no. Um, Dable will not be calling plays Sunday. It will be former Eagles quarterback, former Kansas City Chiefs quarterbacks coach, Mike Kafka, uh, now the Giants offensive coordinator. He will be the guy calling the plays. He's the guy Daniel Jones likes, who has who he has good chemistry with. I like Mike Kafka getting the opportunity here to be an offensive coordinator. I I, I really do. Um, I like how he's going to get that chance to call plays and potentially be a head coach himself down the line. Another one on the Andy Reid coaching tree. Um, and I get why Brian Dable's not calling plays. Uh, he wants to oversee everything. Uh, he was an excellent play caller with the Bills. Um, gets a lot of credit for Josh Allen's career, but. Dable's been everywhere. Um, you know, Alabama won five Super Bowls with the Patriots. He wants to oversee the offense. He wants to oversee the defense. He wants to oversee special teams. I don't have a problem with that. I actually think it's a good idea for him. And why not delegate that play calling to Mike Kafka if you feel you need to micromanage everything on this football team? Because they're going to need it in New York. They, they, they are. They're going to need it. The Giants offense last season. 15.2 points per game. They can't get any worse than that, right? They can't get any worse. Daniel Jones is not a good quarterback, but he has a chance to salvage his career with Brian Dable, with Mike Kafka. I'm not saying Daniel Jones is going to end up becoming the next Josh Allen or anything, because I just don't see the talent there. He makes too many mistakes for that. But I think he has a chance to play in the NFL for a couple more years. And I think Brian Dable and Mike Kafka is going to help him, even though he's a lame duck quarterback. And I think that's the big issue here. They have a lame duck quarterback who they, this organization did not draft. Dave Gellman did, and he reached for him at number six. He did. He reached for Daniel Jones. Giants fans want Daniel Jones to be good, but let's face reality here. He's not. 63% completion percentage since he's entered the league. That's 29th. 6.6 yards per attempt. That's 31st. Now, remember, he's had a couple different coaches. He's had Pat Shermer. He's had Joe Judge. <laughs> Joe Judge, that's all i got to say. <laughs> what a terrible coach. And that, that guy's responsible for Mac Jones. <laughs> oh, Judge. 45 touchdowns, 29 interceptions. His touchdown-interception ratio is 30th since he's earned the lead. That's out of 39 qualified quarterbacks. That means you suck. That, that means you suck. You're not good. You're not good enough to be an NFL starting quarterback. That's what the Bills are trying to correct. I mean, the Bills, the, the Giants. That's what the Giants are trying to correct. That's why they brought Brian Dable over. Because they want to see how he does with quarterbacks. And they feel he could be that guy to find a franchise quarterback in New York. It may not be this year, but they're going to see what they got in Daniel Jones. For better or worse, his 49 turnovers are third most in the NFL. That's what they're trying to see. So, if you're a Giants fan, you want to see progress. If Daniel Jones is twice the player he is, that's a win for the New York football Giants. That's a huge win. you got to be ecstatic about Brian Dable's future. I I'm ecstatic for him, and I think Giants are going to be terrible this year. Um, the Let's see here. The Bills offense last year. Under Dable, 28.4 points per game last year. That was third in the league. I think the Giants 
they're not going to average 15. I, I, I think they're going to be closer to 20, maybe even over 20, because I think Dable's that good of a coach, even with the Daniel Jones issue. Because they do have Saquon Barkley back. They do, and he's healthy. But Barkley hasn't been that great the last two seasons. 4.2 yards per carry, four touchdowns the last two years. He's only played 15 games. He's been hurt. I'm oh, sorry, 4.2 yards per touch. I get my numbers right here. Yards per carry, 3.46. Dead last in the National Football League out of qualified running backs. Not good, Saquon. Not good. That, the Giants made a big mistake drafting you number two overall. And this comes from a Penn State grad. This comes from a huge Saquon Barkley fan who definitely thought he was going to be a stud in the NFL and still does think he's going to be a good NFL player because the Giants' offensive line has been hideous. But yet they draft the running back number two overall because Dave Gellman believes in third and three, pound the change, and we'll use the West Coast offense to get a first down. Ah, Dave Gellman, ah, Joe Judge. Yeah, those days are over. It's time to catch up. It's time to get into 2022 now. So, good for you. Uh, good for you, New York Giants. Because everybody in the NFC East want Dave Gellman to be there forever because you were not going to be competitive. I know I'm rant I'm just ranting about Dave Gellman, but guess what? It's well-deserved. It's well-deserved to rant on Dave Gellman. Because he put the Giants in this hole. And now the Giants have a chance to climb out of it. But Sunday may be brutal. Uh, you know, the Titans, let me tell you, they're 6-1 and one versus the Giants since relocating to Tennessee. They didn't win a game when they were in Houston, at least from my records from, what, 1972, I think. So, I mean, we got to look at the Titans here. This is the best team in the AFC last year going to the playoffs. They were number one seed. They were 12-5. They beat the Chiefs. They beat eight teams with a winning record last year. That's an NFL record, guys. Don't sleep on this team. I know they lost A.J. Brown. By the way, I don't think Eagles fans realize what they're getting. They are getting a bona fide playmaker in A.J. Brown. This is from someone who covers the league who has watched A.J. Brown just dominate defenses left and right. You can say the injury's all you want. Ryan Tannehill will tell you how good A.J. Brown is. I got the stats for you. Tannehill has a 5.8 yards per attempt when A.J. Brown is not on the football field. 81 quarterback rating. You know how good he is when Brown's on the field? 7.9 yards per attempt. It goes up two yards. Two yards. Two. 95.6 rating with A.J. Brown on the football field. That's with or without Derrick Henry. That is the game changer A.J. Brown brings to the Philadelphia Eagles. That's it right there. That's what the Titans will not have Sunday. They're going to have Traylon Burks. They're going to have Noah Westbrook or Kine or Keen. They're going to have Robert Woods. They're not going to have A.J. Brown. Their top two receivers last year are gone. They couldn't figure out how to sign A.J. Brown. Of everybody on that star-studded 2019 receiving class, Debo Samuel, signed. D.K. Metcalf, signed. A.J. Brown, not signed. There's more in there, too. I'm just not remembering them. But those... Those were the later round picks, second, second, third round. A.J. Brown was not signed. That's a failure by the Tennessee Titans organization. Titans can spin any way they want. They just did not get a deal done. They just did not want to pay A.J. Brown what they thought he was worth because they're paying the quarterback a lot of money. They're paying a running back a lot of money. They could have paid A.J. Brown that money if they wanted. Harold Landry did get signed, so that's good. But he's out for the year. He's out. Titans are the only team in the league with three guys with eight sacks last year, and one of them's gone. I think the Colts might have overtaken Tennessee in the AFC South. I think, I think so. 
I believe Tennessee and Indianapolis last year are like Dallas and Philadelphia this year. Tennessee was up here. Indianapolis was here. Now they're here. A lot closer. It's a lot closer. It's neck and neck. But I think the Colts right now have a better roster than Tennessee. I still think Tennessee's good because they have a damn good football coach in Mike Vrabel. I do want to see a Titans win the Super Bowl because I want to see if Vrabel lives up to that promise he made. I'm not going to mention it on here, but I think you guys know what I'm talking about. Mike Vrabel is a crazy dude, but he's a damn good football coach. Which is why I'm always going to give the Titans a chance. Because Mike Vrabel is a good football coach. I think that could be the equalizer here in the AFC South. But Derrick Henry's healthy. That's going to be a key. Big Derrick Henry fan, by the way. Huge Derrick Henry fan. Um, that, that guy's a freaking nature. I will not be surprised that that guy is still dominating three years from now. I, I just think, you know, that whole 6'2", 250-pound thing, he's a unicorn. I think he's going to be the next 10,000-yard rusher in this league. I think he's on his way to the Hall of Fame. I still think he needs a couple more years to dominate. But he's an old-school running back in a new-school game, and I, I, I'm all for it. I love it. I absolutely love it. Um. Titans only gave up 1,438 rushing guards last year. That's second. Second fewest in football. They have a really good run defense because of guys like Jeffrey Simmons in the middle. Yeah, they're going to miss Harold Landry, no doubt. The Giants are going to have their issues Sunday. They're going to have a lot of issues on Sunday. Because I don't think the Giants can run the football that well, even with their offensive line. I, I got to give the Giants some credit here. This is how Dable and them are changing things around. Last year in the preseason, the Giants had the 30th ranked offensive line, according to Pro Football Focus. They were bad. I, I watched Giants preseason games. They were bad. 2021. 2022, I happened to watch a couple. Watch a couple of the Giants preseason games. And they played They played their starters. They played Evan Neal. played Andrew Thomas. They have to. They got to get these guys chemistry here. They went up to 18th. It's big. That's a big jump for the New York Giants. We're used to them having crappy offensive lines. If that offensive line could be half decent, I think Daniel Jones has a shot. I don't think he's the quarterback of the future of the New York Giants, but I think Daniel Jones has a shot. That's why the Eagles bulked up. That's why the Eagles got Hassan Reddick. They knew the Giants were changing the culture. They knew they had to get after the quarterback. They had the second fewest sacks in the league last year. That's why you get a Hassan Reddick, so you can beat the New York Giants. You could beat the Dallas Cowboys. You could beat the Washington Commanders. The Giants have a pretty good defensive line. Um, Kayvon Thibodeau. I love him. I thought he was one of the best players in the draft. I'm not sure if he was better than Ian Hutchinson. As a defensive line guru myself, I don't think you could have went wrong with any of them. The fact that Kayvon Thibodeau fell, fell to fifth, that's a benefit for the Giants. Evan Neal falling. I thought Evan Neal was the best player in the draft. Fell six. Fell six. That's a good first round. They got two linchpins in Evan Neal and Kayvon Thibodeau. Aziz Ujihari, another one. Looks like he's going to be pretty good. Had eight sacks last year, kind of overshadowed because of everything Michael Parsons did. They're a Georgia boy. Go figure. Um, I really like him, too. The Giants' defensive line is the strength of that football team. They don't have much. They don't have much. Their wide receiver situation is bad. But Sterling Shepard's going to play Sunday. So that's going to help. Sterling Shepard says he'll play Sunday. So you got him. Darius Slayton, it seems like everything's fixed there. I don't know. Giants got to play him because Kenny Galladay's terrible. I don't even know if he's going to last the whole year in New York. I'm assuming he is because of the cap hit. But it's interesting. It's going to be very, very interesting to see what happens there. The Giants have guys like David Sills. Yeah, it's who, – who the heck is Daniel Jones throwing to? But, again, this is part of the rebuilding process. This is part of the rebuilding process in New York.
It's going to be a very tough year for them. I think I had their ceiling. I did the ceiling and floor for all 32 teams in the NFL for CBS. I think I had the Giants at ceiling at six and their floor at three. And I think they're kind of hoping for the floor so they can draft that franchise quarterback and have a top three pick because there's going to be some good quarterbacks in this draft. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not too optimistic on the New York Giants this year. I'm just not. We'll talk about them when they play the Cowboys, when they play the Commanders, when they play the Eagles, but I'm going to be watching their games closely because I want to see what Brian Dable does to kind of fix everything here. And this is what they expect out of Daniel Jones. Um, they want him to be smart at quarterback. They do. They don't want him making the dumb decisions he made under Joe Judge. <laughs> I got a funny stat line about the great Joe Judge, Mr. Football. The Giants averaged 9.3 points per game in their final six games last year. They are the first team since the 1984 Vikings to lose their last six games by double digits. And this franchise strongly consider bringing Joe Judge back. I don't understand it. I don't. I, I don't get it. How is Joe Judge in charge of Mac Jones? How are him and Matt Patricia, a guy who gave up 41 points to a backup quarterback in Super Bowl 52, in charge of an offense? What the heck are you doing, Bill Belichick? Before we go to break, I got to give a shout out to Andy Reid on Sunday. Andy Reid will be starting his 10th season with the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah, do you guys believe it's been 10 years? Andy Reid is going to be the first coach in NFL history to coach two franchises of 10 or more years. Philadelphia Eagles, he coached for 14. The Kansas City Chiefs, he coached for 10. You got to give it up to Andy Reid. He's the only coach to ever do it. And I don't know if you heard Bart Scott's ridiculous comment yesterday. You got fired for a reason. Shut up, you idiot. Sometimes it's better to not speak. Andy Reid is the best coach in the National Football League right now. He is. And guess what? I'll say he's better than Bill Belichick until Bill Belichick wins something of significance without Tom Brady. The Patriot way was in New England. It was Tom Brady. That's in Tampa now. I think Bill Belichick's going to be fine with Mac Jones, but I don't like a lot of decisions he's making. Maybe it's because of age. I don't know. I don't know if Bill Belichick's ever going to win their Super Bowl without Tom Brady. But Andy Reid has won with Donovan McNabb, with Alex Smith, with Patrick Mahomes, with Jeff Garcia, with Mike Vick. He's won with a lot of quarterbacks, and he continues to win games. So shout out to Andy Reid. Um, I think that's awesome. You were able to coach two teams 10-plus years and had a Great degree of success with both. Change Philadelphia Eagles culture. You change Kansas City Chiefs culture. All right. We're going to talk more NFC East right after the break. I got John Stolas from Bleeding Green Nation, a good buddy of mine. Cannot wait to bring him on. We'll see you after the break. greatest fans on earth it's a bold statement but would you expect anything less from philadelphia 58 years of heartache creates a toughness a grit a resolve not found in most sure our prayers were answered but now that we've had a taste we're looking for more pondley hockey official partner of the philadelphia eagles do you stream on a Roku, Fire Stick, Android TV, or Apple TV? Now you can watch 6ABC 24-7 with the 6ABC Philadelphia streaming app. The big story on action. Search 6ABC Philadelphia and start streaming today. Go passionately. Go fearlessly. Go confidently. Go first! 
Go confidently towards your goals with First Trust, Philly's hometown bank for nearly 90 years and the official bank of the Philadelphia Eagles. We're focused on getting you over the goal line. So go with conviction. Go with trust. And go forward with us by your side. First Trust Bank, the official bank of Philadelphia dreams. Oh, and go birds. Welcome to Pond Lee Hockey, the largest workers' compensation law firm in Pennsylvania. With over 250 years of combined courtroom experience, we've helped over 100,000 injured and disabled workers obtain benefits, as well as some of the biggest settlements in the state. Even better, Pond Lee Hockey doesn't charge a dime until you win. If you've been injured at work, give Pond Lee Hockey a call. Go for the midnight dares. Go for the game. Go for the hits. Go for the fans. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. me and the host there when I'm on with John Stolas because it's usually the other way around. Usually John's interviewing me, but how you been, John? I'm good, buddy. How are you? Uh, I cannot complain. Uh, ready for some football. Yes, sir. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's uh, It's been a long summer, and um, you know I think everybody's a lot more optimistic about this team now uh, than they were at the start of the summer, so it's been fun. Yeah. Why do you think teams have been so optimistic about the Eagles? And it's not just locally either. I think nationally – a lot of yeah. people seem to be buying in. Well, I mean, you look at the roster. The roster is just, it looks like one of the more complete teams in, in the NFC, certainly. Um, there's not a position group that you really think, boy, the Eagles have a lot of question marks here. There were a lot of issues here. Uh, they they went into the offseason with a lot of question marks, right? I mean, they went in with a linebacking core that was underwhelming. They went in with a huge question mark at cornerback, too. They went in with huge question marks at safety. Um, they The defensive line needed some work. They they didn't have a pass rusher that you could rely on going into the offseason. And uh, they, they were woeful at wide receiver. And it looked like before the draft that it was going to largely be the same team in 2022 that it was in 2021. I remember saying that before the draft, like the, the Eagles look like they're just running it back and hoping that the easy schedule will get them back into the playoffs. But then Howie Roseman at dra- on draft night obviously makes the AJ Brown trade. And um, you know, you draft your big defensive tackle, you get Nicobe Dean in the third round and you're off to the races. And it's really been amazing. Some of the additions that he's made, the impactful additions that he's made late in the off season with Bradbury, uh, and then Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. Uh, so it's kind of funny how how he's done a lot of his big work late in the offseason uh, to shore up some of these holes. And, and you just look at the roster top to bottom, and you see that the Cowboys got worse on paper than they than they were at the end of last season, and, and you've got to feel good. Yeah, John, this was weird to me, that, that whole leading up to the draft. So I remember um, I, I had a source tell me that A.J. Brown was at – or Jalen Hurts is at AJ Brown's uh, birthday party for his two-year-old uh, jersey. Right. I, I I think it was jersey. I, I can't remember. But yeah. I'm like, okay, so what's the deal here? Like, I know they're buddies, and they're like, hey, it's a little more than that. I said, what do yeah. you mean a little more? He said, oh, I can't divulge anything. I don't want to mess anything up. And I'm like, wait, what? What? AJ Brown's coming to the Eagles, and you know, he, he never responded back. So I, yeah. I just kind of kept it, you know, in one ear out the other, and then like. You start hearing some stuff like, oh, you know, you know the Tennessee situation, you know this, you know that. I'm like, okay, so I kind of braced for it that it might happen, but right, it, it just never seemed like it was going to be a reality until the deal actually came. But you got to give Howie Rosen credit for stockpiling those draft picks and allowing them to get a star. Yeah, and, and not only did he stockpile the draft picks to get himself a star in this draft, he also set himself up for next year's draft in case in case they still need to to make some moves at the one position where I think they have the biggest question mark, and that's at the quarterback. But to be able to go get AJ Brown this offseason, that's been I think that's been the thing with Howie Roseman. So many of the moves that he's made, we didn't see coming, right? We didn't see AJ Brown coming. We, we didn't see James Bradbury getting released by the Giants and the Eagles going out and signing him. We certainly didn't see the Chauncey Gardner Johnson trade happening. 
So a lot of the moves that he's made, we just didn't see coming. The Hassan Reddick signing made a lot of sense in the moment because you knew they needed a pass rusher and you knew Jonathan Gannon wanted to play more of a hybrid defense and, and Reddick lets you do that. Um, but I mean, we were all looking at the wide receiver market, seeing all the trades that were going on for, for big name wide receivers. And uh, you're looking at the Eagles roster and you've got Devontae Smith, who is obviously a really good young up and coming wide receiver, but you're still looking at Rager in the two and you're still... You're still looking at Greg Ward getting regular snaps, and you're wondering, can Quez Watkins be the two? Can where does what is his role? Where does he fit in? Um, and uh, and and you bring in AJ Brown, and it just automatically changes the entire. It's amazing how one player can change the landscape of the offense. One guy can come in, and it just it puts everybody in the proper slot, right? So you've got Brown and Devontae Smith as one A and 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 one B, and and. I think the I think the signing we're kind of sleeping on a little bit too is the Zach Pascal signing. When they signed him, it looked like he was going to be the number two or number three, and you're thinking that's a stretch. But when you've got him as your four, that's a really good player to be your fourth guy, to be your uh, one of your slot guys, to be an occasional outside guy, but a move the sticks guy, and uh, and and just it makes it make it makes Dallas Goddard a better weapon. It makes uh, the running backs better weapons, and it just it, it really did transform the entire offense bringing those two guys, Brown and and Pascal in. I agree how we're underrating the Zach Pascal sign. I, I think people seem to remember Zach Pascal last year because obviously Eagles fans watch a lot of Colts games and they saw Zach Pascal was ineffective, I guess. And I think that was more the quarterback because when he had Andrew Luck, when he had Jacoby Brissett, when he had Phillip Rivers, this guy was getting a lot of tough yards for the Indianapolis Colts. And I don't know what the deal was, why Wentz couldn't find him like all the other quarterbacks could. Yeah, Carson Wentz is a mystery. I, who knows? Who knows why anything happens or doesn't happen when Carson Wentz is the quarterback? And I'm sure in in Washington this year, Washington fans will will be saying similar things. You know, he'll have he'll have those great games, and he'll also have those moments that that make you want to pull your hair out. It feels like too. I'm a little higher on the on the Commanders than a lot of people, and maybe it's yeah. because I understand when Wentz is good, they can be scary because. Yeah. They have a good team, but it seems like in Washington, where it's the local beat riders, and I think they're a little more optimistic than, than most, but the fans just don't seem bought into this. I have the commanders making the playoffs. I, I picked them to go to the postseason. Uh, I think they'll finish ahead of the Cowboys in the NFC East, specifically because I do think you're right. I, I mean, Carson Wentz is a significantly better quarterback than Tyler Heineke or Taylor Heineke. Uh, I, I think he has the potential. We remember Carson Wentz's last two games in Indianapolis last year, and we feel like the whole season was that way for him. When, in fact, was he was he a Pro Bowl quarterback for Indianapolis for most of last year? No, but he did enough to get them in position to go to the postseason in a, in a very competitive AFC. And I don't want to say those two losses were fluky for Carson Wentz because he played poorly and he legitimately lost those two games against winnable opponents. But for most of the season, and I know Jonathan Taylor was maybe the MVP of the league and he was greatly aided by a running game that was really second to, I think, the Eagles running game last year. Uh, and uh, he doesn't have a, a running back with him quite that good in Washington. But I think he's got better receivers here in Washington. Uh, I do. And then listen, Antonio Gibson was one, I think of only eight players to go over a thousand yards rushing last year. I mean, raise your hand if you knew that <laughs> I didn't know that until I looked it up. And so I think Carson Wentz largely played well enough to win most games last year. And the commander's schedule is easy, just like everyone in the NFC East. And I think there's a good chance Carson Wentz wins them nine, nine or 10 games this year. I get really upset when people knock Antonio Gibson. He fumbles the ball too much. Okay. That's the issue. Yeah, and Tiki Barber's done that. So, like, he can't correct that? Yeah, I mean, you can. I mean, we saw Tiki Barber holding the ball up here, you know, for the for the latter part of his career. It looked weird, but, you know, he didn't put the ball on the ground as much. And so there, I would think that there are ways to coach that up, um, you know, show him tape of Tiki and make sure that he's keeping that ball away from uh, from defender's hands and just gets getting stronger there, too. I mean, that, that's, that goes a long way. What are your thoughts on Ron Rivera? I actually put him, I had to do the preseason uh, hot seat rankings for CBS mm. for the coaches. It's a short list this year. So I put Rivera on it because I think Dan Snyder's a ticking time bomb. I mean, but overall, what have, what have been your thoughts in Washington on how he's been doing? I, I think Ron Rivera, as much as anything else, has helped them on the field. I think he's made them a more competent uh, team X's and O's wise and, and on the feet just hasn't had the talent in recent years to really be able to, to do anything. So I think he's a good X's and O's coach. I think he's a good 
a good presence, uh, commands the locker room. I think he commands the respect of his players, which I don't know that you could say the same about the his his predecessors there in Washington. But the reason I don't think he's on the hot seat is because I think he is the public face the commanders need with everything going on with the front office right now. He's a guy that engenders trust. I think his Q rating is, is really good because people trust him when he says things. And, and he has a track record of, of being someone that you can trust and that you can um, and that he does things the right way, I think, is probably the best way to put it. And so uh, I don't think he's going anywhere, even if they win six or seven games. I mean, I know Dan Snyder is Dan Snyder and, and you, you can't put anything past him. But I think Snyder recognizes he needs Ron Rivera not only to coach his football team, but to be the face of the franchise right now. And that's that's the dual role that he's facing. I mean, the stuff that w- went on with Jack Del Rio this offseason with the comments that he made uh, about January 6th and the Capitol and all that. Ron Rivera comes out and he he extinguishes the fire. And that's that's basically what he's done since he took over. That's one of the main reasons they brought him aboard was to be the adult in the room in a room where there were no adults. I have a friend tell me, too, like they were seriously considering just getting rid of Del Rio. And I guess Rivera talked them out of it. And hmm. you're right. That's the stabling presence of Ron Rivera and what he's brought to them. It, it seems like, and maybe this is good that Dan Snyder doesn't want this out, but all the stuff, like I know Bruce Allen testified yesterday, I guess, but mm-hmm. it seems like all the egregious stuff Dan Snyder has been doing is kind of been swept under the rug because of the stabilizing presence Rivera has. Yeah, and a lot of the stuff is with the commanders in the front office and the congressional testimony and all that. It's all happening behind closed doors. Um, I certainly think things might be different if we're seeing Dan Snyder raise his right hand on C-SPAN and talk about what's been going on. They did have a public hearing uh, with the employees. I would pay to watch that, by the way. What's that? I would pay to watch that. Oh, for sure. Oh, for sure. Yeah. No, that C-SPAN... You know, you could you could actually pay-per-view that thing. I think it would make some money. Uh, but um, yeah, is that stuff being kind of off the front pages? They had the one hearing and and uh, and certainly was a, a, a black eye for for Washington that day. But um, we'll maybe we'll see more things come out with Bruce Allen's testimony. Ten hours. He did ten hours yesterday. What time did he get out of it? I don't know, but I don't know what you talk about for 10 hours. I mean, that's, that's insane uh, to, to sit and do anything for 10 hours. I mean, I, I can't fathom that, but they give this guy a bathroom break, right? Yeah, I'm sure they do. I'm sure they, I'm sure he had some, I'm sure they let him have a pack of Munchables and, and, you know, and get on with his day. But uh, it's, you know, that, that team needed somebody to take a hold of it and really grab it by the shoulders and, and shake it into, into coming into this century. And I think Ron Rivera is doing that. And that's that's really his most valuable asset to this team is, is to be the grown-up. What's the progress on Washington trying to get a new stadium? I know it, it seems like they've been talking about that for at least 15 years. Yeah, the problem is that FedEx Field, as everyone who's been there knows, is is a land is a, a land disaster. Uh, they, it's impossible to get to. It's impossible to get out of there. There's no parking. Uh, the, the stadium itself is brutal. Um, so they... I think ideally the team would like to go and get a stadium in, in Washington, D.C. Frankly, the best place for it is RFK, just to knock that building down and build something new in the southeastern part of the city. Uh, the problem is that city managers don't like Dan Snyder, and they're not going to give Washington a new stadium until Dan Snyder is no longer the owner. So now you're looking at someplace else in Maryland, or you're looking at where I live, which is northern Virginia. And they were talking about two or three sites within 15 minutes of my house here in Northern Virginia as potential spots for a new stadium, Virginia state legislators, some of them were warming to the idea, but um, I think a lot of this, a lot of these issues with the commanders in the workplace stuff and, and the congressional testimony and all that has scared off any, any, any Democrats in the state who might have considered the very costly process of putting a stadium up in Northern Virginia. It, that's been scuttled for now. So for the moment, it's status quo. There, there really is no movement on a new stadium for the commanders at this point. I was watching a 1997 game. I think it was between the Eagles and the, I, I won't say the name, the, the former name for the, the Rs. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that, that's what we'll call them. And yeah. I just think it's funny, you know, here Pat Summer, I'll say state-of-the-art stadium. I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. Jack Kent Cook's team was a state-of-the-art stadium at one point. At one point it was, I mean, it was, and it was, that place rocked. I I'd been to a few games at RFK. That place absolutely rocked when, when those, when those teams were good. Uh, it was a hard place to go in and win a football game. And that's just not the case with FedEx field anymore. It's, it was bad the moment it, it opened. Uh, it, I don't know. 
I don't know who designed it, but there's one way in and one way out of that place. Like yeah, one is. entrance and one exit. It's it's beyond it's beyond mind boggling, mind boggling that that they that they built that stadium the way they did. And Snyder wasn't owner yet when they bought it, when they built it, right? Uh, I think he was. I think I think that was Snyder's baby. Um, but I don't hold me to that. I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I can't remember when he bought the team. I, I thought it was 99, but I'm not sure. It's It's been a while. But yeah. overall, though, when you look at this Commanders team, like you said, it, it, I, I think they have a, the potential to be a playoff team. I actually think three MCEs teams have the potential to go to the playoffs. But have you heard, like, this Chase Young – did he re-injure his knee? Did he not? Did you happen to catch out on Twitter last night? Yeah, a little bit. I didn't catch a lot of it, but I, I, I heard, I saw that there was some controversy about Chase Young, and and the, the team is pushing back on that. They say that he he could be ready to go, you know, he could be physically ready to play before he's, you know, before he's set to come off. Uh, inj- was he placed on injured reserve? He was, right? I yeah, mean, yeah, yeah. So so he's out the first four weeks anyway, but they they're optimistic that he can be back in time for week five. So. I don't know if there's any smoke to that fire or any fire to that smoke or whatever the expression is, but uh, it, it does look like Chase Young, at least according to the team, will be ready once he comes off IR. But, you know, with Washington players, with, with this organization, I think your pro- your best bet is probably to assume the worst. So with regard to any Chase Young rumor that you might hear, it's probably safest to assume the worst. Yeah, exactly. Especially in Washington, because... This is what I worry about with this team. They had no linebackers. I mean, they brought John yeah. Bostic back because they had no linebackers. Outside of Fuller and um, – I'm just trying to remember where else starts for them now. Well, I'm, I'm losing it here. I think it's Thompson. <laughs> but I, uh, but overall, they don't have any anybody to back them up. Like, Ben St. Juice is fine, but it's not like the Eagles situation with Vontae Maddox. It's not the Cowboys situation. I mean, this could really be their Achilles heel this year. Yeah, I think really when Jan Davis uh, can can perform according to what did him, um, uh, you know, K- Kendall Fuller is, you know, a, a decent enough player, but they don't have a ton of playmakers on, unless Davis really emerges this year. Um, and that's going to be the, I really that's going to be maybe the key to the defense is, first of all, getting making sure Montez Sweat and Chase Young are, are healthy because, you know, Jonathan Allen can play. We, we know he can play, but making sure making sure that those edge guys can get to the quarterback and then. You know they really need Jamin Davis to to play to to be that to be that line playmaking linebacker for them. And if if he can't do that, the middle of the field is going to be there. Dallas Goddard's going to have 150 yards receiving on on that team when they when they play them if they can't get something at linebacker. Yeah. Uh, George Kittle said on Richard Sherman's podcast, he said Dallas Goddard is the tight end to watch this year. So he's probably the most underrated tight end in the NFL, and he expects him to be. Big year. I mean, that's huge coming from a guy like George Kill. But what do you see in Dallas Goddard that's going to make him that Pro Bowl level tight? Well, Howie Roseman said the same thing on uh, on WIP yesterday morning. He was asked about AJ Brown, and and he unsolicited said the player everybody's sleeping on is Dallas Goddard. And we saw Goddard once that Gertz left last year, and he became the high volume tight end. He stayed healthy, which is the big key for Dallas Goddard is making sure that he stays on the field for 16, 17 games this year. Uh, but when he's on the field, he's a monster. He's got all the speed in the world that you want from a tight end. He's got he's got great hands. In his first couple of seasons, he had some issues with some some drops and a, a fumble here and there. But we didn't really see that from him very much last year. And he he's a guy inside the red zone who is a big target. So I think the I think the Eagles are going to be much better inside the twenty, and especially as you get down close to the goal line because you've got a bigger target in Brown and 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 in Dallas Goddard down there. He's a guy who could put up seven to ten touchdowns. I think you're looking at a eight eight to nine hundred yard receiving year from from Goddard. You know, I think he. I don't think he's going to challenge the the pass catching uh, receptions record that Zach Ertz set a couple of years ago. I don't think he's going over a century in well, catches because we're doing that now. I ain't trying to get close to that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But I, I think he's a Pro Bowl caliber uh, uh, tight end, and I think he has the potential to be an all pro. I mean, an all pro tight end, be a, a first or second teamer. Don't you think it's crazy how Zach Ertz goes to Arizona? He literally sets the franchise record for receptions by a Cardinals tight end, and he wasn't even there half the year, and Goddard does what he does in Philly. It almost seems like the best thing for both of them was to separate. Yeah, you just it's a matter of having enough enough targets to 
maximize your opportunities. And and that's the that was the thing. I mean, you as long as Zach Ertz was going to be here, he was never going to be relegated to a pure backup to Dallas Goddard. And so you move Zach Ertz to Arizona, someplace where they could really use somebody, even with his diminishing skill set, a guy who can still be productive and he's not going to break tackles. He's not going to get you the long gains anymore, but he's a, he's a guy who's going to get you that eight yard reception, that 11 yard reception over the middle. He's still a great route runner. Um, but in Dallas Goddard, you just, you separated these two guys so that each could, each could be the man. In, in their respective places. And it was the, it definitely was the best thing for both of them. Sometimes a timeshare works, you know, with running back situation, with the running back situation, you're hoping the timeshare that they're going to use, that they're going to work out works out. But, um, at tight end, there's only so many balls to go around. And with tight ends too, you want your second tight end, I think to be more of a blocking tight end anyway, to act as like an, an, another, another uh, blocker on the field for, for in running downs and, um, you know, being able to run some more, you know, 12 personnel, I, I think with what you've got with Dallas Goddard is a guy who has all of the talent, all of the tools. He's got his long-term contract, so he knows he's going to be in Philadelphia for a while. And I was very skeptical whether or not he could be a high-volume tight end. He had never shown the ability to be that before, but he'd never been given the opportunity to do that before. Last year he did, and I, I agree. I think I think he's a guy that could certainly be one of the best tight ends in football this year. So you have Washington making the playoffs. You said Dallas yeah. is missing. Why do yeah. you got Dallas missing it? A couple of different reasons. One, first of all, the main reason is vibes. That team is emanating stinky vibes right now. The fan base is not happy. They, I think a lot of Cowboys fans and people who cover the team look at what the Eagles have been doing this offseason and lamenting Jerry Jones' inaction in a number of different places. They, they've suffered some key injuries. Um, I think they've subtracted more than they've added. I, I The wide receiver situation, I like C.D. Lamb, but... I'm not sure what Michael Gallup is going to give you when he comes back and, and exactly when he's going to come back. Um, they've, they've, they don't, I mean, Dalton Schultz is a really good tight end as well, but uh, he doesn't make up for the loss of Amari Cooper. Uh, I think um, there's still some questions as to, you know, who's getting the rock at, at running back. I know Dak Prescott, the one thing that Dallas has going for them is they have clearly the best quarterback in the division. And for the people who are picking Dallas, he's the reason. He's the sole reason that they are picking Dallas to win the division. Because if you look at, and I just don't think you can expect the defense to create as many splash plays as it did last year. They, they created, yeah, and that's just not repeatable most of the time. That's kind of a fluky year to year thing. So uh, I don't think you're going to see Trayvon Diggs have the interception total that he had last year. Uh, they do. I mean, they do have good players on the defense and I, I don't want to underestimate Dan Quinn, who's maybe the best defensive coordinator in the league. If not, he's certainly top five, but I just look at what Dallas has done and it feels like a team that's going to take a step back this season. It was a crushing loss in the playoffs last year. It's kind of carried over through the offs through an off season of inactivity and Cowboys fans are not happy. It just feels like you're always looking for there's always two or three teams that made the playoffs the year before that don't make it the following year. And in the NFC East, we know that no team has won the division back to back years since the Eagles did it from 2001 to 2004. So I see no reason for that to change this year. And I, I just think it's it's not it's not their year this year. They, they don't, to me, have the feel of a playoff team. Doesn't it feel like Jerry Jones is saying Mike McCarthy up to fail. Yes, uh, and I don't know that he's actively trying to get. I mean, he can fire Mike McCarthy anytime he wants. He's Jerry Jones for crying out loud. You don't need to waste a season of Dak Prescott's prime in order to get Mike McCarthy out of there. So, uh, I, I, it's mystifying to me why the Cowboys did what they did. It actually reminds me a lot of times of during the Andy Reid days when uh, Joe Banner was uh, was the general manager, and the Eagles would just ignore certain position groups. Uh, they they would ignore they would ignore wide receiver year after year after year and you go into the season thinking they 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 need a playmaker wide receiver why why won't they get one why are we why are we James Thrash and Todd Pinkston are weighing through the season every year when we don't have to go go get someone but they just wouldn't do it uh, they again they had better linebackers than than the Eagles than these recent Eagles teams have had but they also ignored linebacker for for a lot of those a lot of those years too I mean there were just some spots where they just decided nah. We don't really need to. We don't really need to focus on this, and it drove me crazy. And it felt like that's what Jerry Jones's offseason was. He he knows he has players who are injury prone. He he knew that he was weakening the wide receiver position and just chose to do it anyway. And it's when you've got a quarterback in his prime like Dak Prescott, and you've signed him to this big money deal, and you've signed a bunch of these other veterans to big money deals, supplement it 
with players that you need to insulate yourself from injury issues. And they just didn't do it this offseason. And I can't figure out why that is. You think Jason Pierce is eventually going to start at left tackle? That's a good question. I, when he got, when he signed, it felt to me like we're signing a name so that the fans know we're looking like we're doing something, but I can't see how he's going to be a starting option for them. He's he's he just doesn't have it anymore, and and so I don't know what their solution is at left tackle, if it's not Jason Peters, but I just don't think it's Jason Peters. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they will. I don't think he starts week one. I think they probably trot out and try out whatever it is uh, they've got going on there now. But I, I don't I don't think it's going to be Jason Peters. I really don't. I saw Eagles fans get a little upset. He signed with the Cowboys, and I tried telling them, I'm like, you know. Randall Cunningham was on the Cowboys. I don't right. know if you guys remember that. And as you and I both know, he was not good on the Cowboys. No, no, no. When when I, when the Cowboys sign an Eagles player, it's generally when when that player is is all washed up, right? So I mean, I, I think that's probably going to be the case here too. You know, just, Josh Ball is is probably the guy who who's going to get the majority of those snaps at. To, to start off the season. Um, and I don't know if he's going to be able to handle that. So maybe Jason Peters does get some run here and there, but Jason Peters is not going to be an impact player for, for, for Dallas. I mean, and, and listen, guy wants to play, let him play. He's a legend in Philadelphia. He's going to go into Canton with it, with the Eagles logo on his bust. It's not, it's not betrayal. He's not a traitor. A man wants to play football. A team came and said, Hey, we're going to pay you money to play football. Will you come play for us? What's he going to say? No, it's like, no, well, I was on the Eagles for so long and the fans really hate you guys, so I don't think I can do it. That's not how professionals work. I mean, it's so any if anybody is legitimately upset, and I don't know how many people are legitimately upset at Jason Peters about this, but if there are people who are legitimately upset about Jason Peters, just remember the man wants to work. And so let's let him work wherever wherever anybody's willing to hire him. Uh, and then he can come back and he can be a he can be a, a lifelong special assistant to the front office in Philadelphia for however long he wants. One thing I've noticed, too, between the Cowboys and the Eagles rivalry, uh, actually two things. One, I feel like the Eagles fans don't care as much about it as they did in the 90s because Cowboys aren't good anymore. And two, it seems like Cowboys fans really like to get or try to get in the Eagles' fields because they know that the Eagles have been the better franchise the last two decades. And I keep trying to tell Eagles fans this. Th this is not a special – the Dallas Cowboys are not a special team anymore. They don't, they don't deserve – the level of hate that we throw their way because they're just not relevant. The Eagles have been more relevant over these last 20 years than the Dallas Cowboys have. That's clear. I mean, that's obvious. And you have to go back to the first Clinton administration to see when the Cowboys last made even just a conference title game. So this is not, a, this is not a marquee franchise anymore. This, the Dallas Cowboys, aside from the cheerleaders, aside from the big stadium, aside from Jerry Jones, they're just another team. You know, so I, I don't like the Cowboys. I don't like the Giants and I don't like the Commanders. To me, they all share an equal amount of dislike as division rivals. I don't hate one more than the other. I don't like any one more than the other, but it, it just, I, I feel like we're, we're holding on to this Tom Landry, Jimmy Johnson past when it comes to, to, to our feud with the Dallas Cowboys. And I get it. It's not, it can make these games more fun. And, and that's the whole thing behind it. Like if, if it makes it more fun, then great. But I think we just need to step back and, and take a look at what the Cowboys are and what they have been. The NFL has also done a great job of leveling the playing field for everyone so that really every organization has the same chance to be good on a year-in, year-out basis. If you've got a smart front office, any team can build itself back up from being a loser to a winner. Just look at the Bengals and look at the Bills and some other teams. I think the Lions are going to be a good team this year. You can do it. You can If you're smart and you've got good coaching – you can build yourself back up and you can do it quickly. And so the Cowboys are just another team. They're, they're, they're in our division. And so they, they're, they're extra, they're a little special in that way. And we have the history, but they're not special anymore. They, they do not deserve to rent a room in anyone's head. Final question for you. So do you think free agency had a lot to do with maybe the Cowboys losing that America's team moniker? Cause it seemed like once free agency really took off that not early in the, in the night, like when Reggie signed, but when, yeah, I would say late nineties when the dynasty was ending, it, it felt like the Cowboys have never really recovered from free agency really hitting its peak. I, you know, I don't know that it's free agency. I think that team has been plagued by terrible coaching 
and frankly, the one constant is Jerry Jones making all of the football decisions. Um, they also have had some bad luck over these last few years. I mean, the Tony Romo fumbled snap on the kick against Seattle. I mean, what, how does that happen? I mean, there's, I, uh, we've, we've seen Tom Hutton do that, though. Yeah, yeah, but in a regular well, season game, you know, it's yeah, a little I, bit different. Still. <laughs> yeah, I and I get it. And then there was the and then there was the catch no catch against Green Bay in the playoffs, and and the Cowboys kind of got uh, kind of got screwed there too. So there, there's been some bad luck, but I think what's really hurt the Cowboys is they have they have done a terrible job hiring coaches, and they've done a terrible job putting together competitive rosters. And that all comes back to Jerry Jones. And I think when you, when you look at why the Cowboys are struggling, you, you did have, you know, you had Emmett Smith and Michael Irvin and, and all those guys really before the height of free agency, height, free agency was in effect for a lot of those years, but really, you know, it was, you know, when you're talking about 1990, 91, 92, 93, that was before free agency. And, you're right. Players were Cowboys for life. Now players come, players go. You you might start off with the Cowboys, and then when your rookie deal's over, maybe you go and you play someplace else. And we're seeing some players latch on for forever. I think Dak Prescott's going to be a Cowboy for life, or at least until throughout his the best of his playing days. And the Cowboys do try to lock guys up, but you know it's it's not it's not a situation I think where players also revere the star anymore. Players go where the money is, and so you'll see a player leave the Cowboys to go play for a team like the Cardinals or, or the Browns or, or someplace else when back in the, you know, 25, 30 years ago, you would never see that unless a player was traded. So uh, it's just, it's a different league. There are different rules and the league has designed it so that one team is not dominating the sport anymore. And, and the, the Patriots are the exception. And that's because they had one quarterback who was the greatest of all time. And now and they're all going to Tampa Bay. <laughs> right. And now, now he's on it. Now he's moved on to Tampa Bay. Exactly. <laughs> All right, John, once again, I appreciate you having you on. I'm going to have to get you on again, but it's great talking to FC East with you. I'll get you on during the season. Sounds good, buddy. Sounds great. Thanks, John. And I got to give another shout out to Joey McDonald. We're going to put a bow on the show right after this. Philadelphia fans were cut from a different cloth. Born into a brotherhood and bonded to our team for life. We believe anything is possible because we've witnessed the impossible. While we may be from different neighborhoods, come Sunday, we are one and we will be heard. Pondley Hockey, official partner of the Philadelphia Eagles. The faces you know, the team you trust. The Delaware Valley's leading news program, Action News. Go passionately. Go fearlessly. Go confidently. Go first! <clears throat> Go confidently towards your goals with First Trust, Philly's hometown bank for nearly 90 years, and the official bank of the Philadelphia Eagles. We're focused on getting you over the goal line. So go with conviction. Go with trust. Go first. And go forward with us by your side. First Trust Bank, the official bank of Philadelphia dreams. Oh, and go birds. At Pond Lee Hockey, we've recovered billions of dollars for our clients, and we're confident we can do the same for you. With over 250 years of combined courtroom experience, We've helped over 100,000 injured clients obtain some of the largest settlements in Pennsylvania. One conversation is all it takes to help you and your family get back on track. If you've been injured in an accident, give Pond Lee Hockey a call.
I wanted to bring this up. I'm just going to save it for the 25th anniversary of it. And I know Eagles fans probably, they like to forget this game because I certainly do. But I, I, I've been watching the 1997 Eagles season. I, don't, don't ask me why. I, I, I'm a crazy football idiot. Um, I, I like to know everything that went wrong with a team that I thought was really talented. And yeah, I was nine when Tom Hutton botched that snap against the Cowboys. You all know what I'm talking about. The week three Monday night football game. We're coming up on 25 years of that. I think that's one of the worst losses I've seen in in my lifetime growing up watching the Eagles. And I know the 2002 NFC Championship trumps that, but rewatching that game, I a lot of memories came into my head. Because the Eagles really didn't do much to lose that game until the end of it. They just didn't move the ball. Dallas got gifted a pass interference penalty because Mike Malula tipped the Troy Aikman pass and Bobby Taylor I mean, had Michael Irvin covered and they threw the flag anyway and Dallas scored a touchdown to take a 21-20 lead and the Eagles were up 20-6. to Everybody knows the story. I just remember Ty Detmer throwing that ball to Freddie Solomon. I'm like, oh my God, the Eagles are going to win. They're, they're going to find a way to win this game. I don't know how Freddie Solomon's going to do it again because he caught the winning touchdown pass against Green Bay last week. By the, by the way, um, I, when I was at the Hall of Fame, I got to meet Gilbert Brown, Santana Dotson, Andre Risen. What a fun group to talk football with. Just, we spent hours just talking about football, and especially that Packers-Eagles game. But I want to get back to um, that Dallas game. I just remember Hutton botching the snap. and Yeah, that was the first Monday night game I was really allowed to stay up late for. I said never again. I, I, I'm not doing this anymore. I, I, I'm not. Um, and then it, when I rewatched it, Chris Bonio could have kicked that ball. He could have kicked it. Like, I didn't give him enough time. Like, he could have just tapped it over. It was a 21-yard field goal. So, yeah, that's where, again, it's brutal. <laughs> it's one of the most brutal games ever. I, I'm not going to lie to you. I, I, 2002 NFC Championship was up there growing up. Watching the Eagles. But that 97 Cowboys game is bad, too, because that, that pretty much ended the Ray Rhodes era in Philadelphia. Not saying Ray Rhodes was a great coach or anything, but that pretty much ended it right there. Uh, Baron Brooks is on the field. He'll, you know, I, need I say more? Um, just uh, I love to pick Barrett's brain about that team because it, it's tough. It, it, you know, that's a tough loss. That's a loss you don't recover from. And that 97 Eagles team did not. They fell to one and two, and they, they just never really recovered. Uh, they went through so many different quarterbacks that year. Ty Detner, Rondi P, Bobby Hoyne. It kind of ended an era a little bit. An, an era of a team that had a lot of talent, overachieved, played for their coach, and then all of a sudden it changed. Um, so to me, that's Eagles-Cowboys rivalry, you know, in a nutshell. What that means. And I, I kind of feel like we've gotten away from that a little bit. Maybe because... John's right. Dallas hasn't been as good. They haven't. And, you know, I don't know if Eagles fans feel the same way they used to when they lose to the Cowboys. I still think they want to beat them. But it seems like Cowboys fans now have the inferiority complex toward the Eagles. Just by social media. I think they're, they've been jealous of the Eagles' success. I really do. Um, and I, I think in a way, Eagles fans are a little bit jealous of the Giants' success under Tom Coughlin because... Coughlin got two Super Bowls during the Reed era, and Reed didn't get any. And Reed was a better coach than Coughlin. But that's just the way the NFL works. It's, it's very interesting. Um, just an interesting way everything is. All right, um, Tones, tell me. I got to wrap this up here. This is what happens when I talk history. So tune in to Birds 365, Joey McDonald, John McMullen next. Please hit that like button. I appreciate you guys turning in the show. I'm glad you guys are liking it. You guys have a good morning. Talk to you tomorrow.